Bill is currently stuck in a downpour at his house, so I think he's waiting for the rain to chill out a little bit before he hopped on here, but he will be here shortly. Uh, this is episode 88 of Snakes and Stogies. Justin Smith upon Metacrist Exotics. And the show is brought to you by the fine people at Puget Sound Pythons right here. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Gendra have it all. Um, they just, I think, did some new videos not that long ago. They put out a new one. Uh, and then I saw them taking some some video and stuff at Daytona. So hopefully there's a Daytona video happening. Uh, I didn't notice it released or anything like that. So I don't think it's out yet. But definitely give it a shot. Check it out. You can relive the show through them and vicariously through us. So Phil, yes, Phil is running late. Phil, uh, he's waiting for the rain to stop downpouring. So he can go outside and set up shop. Oh, he's lazy. Yeah, that's video always sucks because it's it's way more time consuming because of editing. That's why, like, I don't know. I'm lazy. So when it comes to video, when it comes to podcast stuff, like, I really don't. I don't tweak anything. Videos, I will because you got to cut a lot of stuff out to keep it relatively short lengthwise, but. Podcasts and stuff, it's it's whatever. I just I let it fly, you know. Mostly because the shows are also very long and I don't want to have to go back and re-listen to the entire thing just to edit out small little pauses and things like that. It's like that's just just no oh, roach. Roach my leg, but yeah, there is that hurricane. Oh, he lives. He lives. Hell. Oh, I'm here. Hell. Johnson. I got water in my right ear, so I'm, I'm like half deaf right now. I got, I got water in my state, in case you can't hear it. I really can't. It's uh, it's died down a lot. It was like sideways forest gump rain a little while ago, and mm -hmm. I'm sure it has to do with some kind of residual from Louisiana. Um, and to all of you who are in Louisiana or the Gulf in general, you know, our hearts and prayers and minds go out to you guys. So, Godspeed. Godspeed. How's that? That cigarette's going to be soggy. That's dry. It's dry. <clears throat> I will say this, though. My cigar of choice for this evening, I did not, I am purpose waited until we were live to show it Ooh. because I love. A front band. I don't know why. I just I feel like it's it's so not the norm, you know. So my co-host of this show gave me a Rocket Patel that I have not had before and have contemplated buying on occasion. But the problem is my local shops don't do a lot of Rocky stuff. So here is us living on the edge. Oh, nah. I brought one too. It's an Edge Corojo. Nice, excellent. So obviously, I was, I was gonna smoke this dark Corojo Antonio, but I'm gonna put this in the case. And I'm gonna oh, smoke that's... this Corojo with you. Cause... Yeah, smoke the Rocky with me. So I'm three minutes and fifty two seconds late. What did I miss? Uh, the usual intro stuff. Let everyone know that they need to go check out Puget Sound Pythons. Hundred percent. 
in all their multimedia glory, be it Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. <clears throat> I was wondering, they took their camera to Daytona, so they shot some video while they were there, but someone right. said they've been too lazy and haven't edited it yet. So I'm uh, sure that when they do, it will be stupendous. I did like how, uh, I think it was Mike Kosicki and a couple other people were posting or sharing links to videos from some of the bigger YouTubers as well as some personal stuff. And like we were in the background or they, they filmed our table, you know, but they <laughs> showed the magazine. I was in Dave Kaufman's video like four, three or four times. All you saw was the back of my giant ass head. Nice, nice. And I was like, hey, I didn't even know it was behind me when he was filming. Like, he's, he was silent. And he's like a giant seven-foot-tall ninja. <laughs> so. Very nice. Vic's here. Wheeler's here. Kirkman. Billy Jenkins. All the usual suspects. The usual suspects. But, I so, we had our little recap show on the last THP on Thursday. Right. Uh, I don't feel like we really covered much in the way of that, so I don't want this to be like an entire recap show, but I have some thoughts regarding it. Okay. So I figured we'd talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, I guess hurricane preparedness would be a good one, too. I don't think we've really gone too deep into prepping for that. I know we've talked about it briefly here and there, but... And uh, you... I am may have messed up I have not sent you that article yet. It is done. Yeah, I, I have photos. Like it's ready to rock and roll. I just need to remember to push send. So, are we still on schedule or no? Hmm, that depends. How many more days are left in this month? Oh, I don't one. know. Okay. One? Um. So I'm expecting. I've been working on it today. Some. Um, we're in pretty good shape, so I'd expect this issue to hopefully be done by Friday, by the end of the week. Is okay. sort of what I'm shooting for. So, so, so I should send it to you. Uh, yeah, I well, yeah, because Tyler Brooks also sent me a Connexus article. Um, but I was really hoping to save that one for the feature in the next one, possibly because you know, obviously, it's Connexus. They're really cool. We don't get a lot of you know, Colonian content. So I wanted to just kind of save it if I could, but if I had to absolutely use it, it would be there to, at my beck and call. So. All right. Well then, uh, well then I'll send you my transporting reptiles article and, uh, and we'll save the Conixus for next month. I just, that was such like he, when he told me he wanted to write something, I was super excited and I figured that's a good, that's a good feature article and stuff. So hundred percent. I really wanted to, to save that. Yeah, and dude, I'll tell you, like, I know it was a little out of their hands, but I was legit bummed that him and the crew didn't, him and the, the, the coalition, the Hingeback coalition, didn't have shirts at Daytona. So I wound up grabbing a handful of stickers and yeah, decals and flyers. Well, like, I wanted to get stuff for my mom, you know, because she's got the spec eye. And oh, she loved it, especially <laughs> there was... They're one of the two of them, you know, uh, copulating. I'll say it politely. Hilarious. My mom was like, "What is this?" I was like, "It's it's it's two Knixes in action." Babies are made, mom. And she's like, "Oh my god, it is!" <laughs> I'm pretty sure she put it on the refrigerator. So it's it's awesome. 
Uh, speaking of which, well, not speaking of Daytona, I guess not necessarily Connexus Cooperative, but sure. Um, this this thing that was yes, fitting for this show. So this is a, it's like a like a stamp for cigar bands. Yeah, it's like a press. But it's it's super heavy. I think it's straight brass or bronze or I don't think it's copper, but it ain't light. Uh, it's what is it, Florida de Bassana, Bassania, uh, which I looked up and I can't really find any information on. So I thought that was interesting, too. But this was given to us by our buddy and frequent Snakes and Stogies. Hangout E. Kevin at Mutant Geckos. Wait, say that one more time. <clears throat> Kevin at Mutant Geckos. Yes. Sorry. I don't know if you get some feedback on that one. Sorry. Kevin's awesome, man. Yeah, he dropped that off. He's like, yeah, I kind of I kind of collect junk and I just stumbled across this and I thought of you. And I was like, oh, perfect. Like it's it's really cool. I don't the only problem is I don't know where to put it. Like I don't want to put it somewhere up high because I know the cat's gonna freaking knock it over and it's probably gonna cut through yeah. my floor. But oh yeah, that'll or definitely cut through the cat. Or that'll that'll exactly that'll definitely crack some tile and fall off the wall. Yeah, yeah man, he's uh, uh, he's there's... awesome. He was telling me that you know he deals in a lot of scrap metal and you know parting okay. it out and stuff like that. And you know every time he finds something that's vintage or antique that he thinks that one of his friends might you know appreciate. He just saves it, you know, because the sharing of the artifact to him is more is more special than just hawking it. You know what I mean? Well, it's funny, too, because like in cigar stuff, you you know, you go to you go to shops, especially like you go to Beaver Tobacco where I work. Uh, Original Edge. We have old cigar presses hanging on the wall and stuff as like decor. So like anything that's manufacturing related to cigars, people love to have like there's oh, yeah. uh, you know most of it's pretty primitive um so i don't know people just it's it's cool stuff to collect especially if it's a brand that that's come and gone and isn't around anymore you know there's like sort of that that novelty to it and yeah, that, that cult following yeah. yeah so and actually Excellent. the label on these was actually pretty cool let me find a picture of it yeah go for it are you wearing your nefer shirt yeah good for you Like I can't. It's, it's strange because I can't find any information on the actual brand. Like there's pictures of them and the boxes and cigars. But there's nothing that says where they come from. Who are they? Really? Do you think it was just a Miami locale thing? I don't know. I take it there's no Wikipedia. No, that's that's kind of what's frustrating. You know. Hey, Eric Burt. Look at that. And Dario. 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 What's up, guys? So, like, there's plenty of pictures and stuff of it. It's right. just strange. But I thought the label was pretty cool. I mean, it, I guess it does kind of look like weed, but... Like, the thought well, no, that... That's, that's a green tobacco leaf, is it not? Yeah, but I mean, at first glance, you're like, bro, that's that ain't tobacco. 
Uh, but there's like there's boxes and pictures and stuff like that, but I, there's no information on the on the website, so or on the internet. But to think that the press that I hold in my hand could be the very one that made this label, who knows? That is pretty awesome. It's almost like uh, I know a lot of people aren't exactly into firearms, but a long time ago, many many moons, hundreds of years ago, uh, when the industrial age came about, they had what's referred to as roll stampings. So when you take a piece of metal, mm -hmm. and obviously that those were used for paper or foil, but when you have a piece of metal, whether it be steel or copper or bronze, and you press into it, it makes the image that you press, but you have uh, a displacement. Almost like when you put you know, your finger in a cup of water and the water rises, same concept, but with metal, it's it's going to expand and it's gonna make like almost a ridge. Like sand. Like sand, right. Yeah. And, uh, so what they realize is that when you stamp something, not only is it going to deform the engraving, but it's 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 very difficult to continue a, a, a sentence or, or a long piece of script. So they made what's called roll stamps or roll markings. So it was basically a wheel that had the imprint on it, very similar to Justin's uh, cigar band, you know, stamp, and then a large, you know, ton press would press in and roll. Mm -hmm. And now those actual those wheels have become collectors' items unto themselves oh, because it. you know every ten years or whatever from doing it thousands and thousands of times it starts to wear down. So those old wheels are actually collectibles now. I've actually been looking to find some of them. They're they're crazy expensive. So yeah, you know, well, they've also been one. replaced by laser engravers now. Yeah, too, yeah. You know? so but it doesn't look it doesn't look the same. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It just that, that they still use them in pipes. Metal. Oh, really? Like on pipe makers, usually when they put their made in, there's almost always like they have like a metal, it's a hand tool, but it just stamps it right into that, that briar. That's cool. Man. Uh, Very cool. Wow. So there's all kinds of um, tobacco memorabilia that people are always after. So, yeah, I feel like the things that come to mind with vintage collectibles and, you know, eclectic antiquities would be tobacco stuff and coca-cola you know well, coke for me yeah like you find a really old penny like a penny from like the 50s or something i don't sure. know i always find that really cool because to think of all the pockets that thing's been in all oh, the yeah. events that thing's gone through like that's for me with that older stuff that's what always yeah. sort of like gets me excited about it, is like somehow this ended up at point A and ended up, you know, 50, 60 years later, point B, which happened to be my pocket, you know, yeah. it's, like, it's yeah. crazy to think how that thing traveled and who carried it. And I don't know, it's probably romanticizing it a little bit, but that's what we do. We love it. We love the backstory. You know, like Tom I Cruise mean, might've carried this penny. I mean, look, look at the background of tonight's wallpaper. You know, like yeah, I want to know yeah. who, who they are, what yeah, they were I doing. I, just, I found that that was in the, the Canva stock photos so excellent is this copper for real i mean it smells like copper it might very well be it, I mean, lo if it, it is, looks like it looks like an old like thousand dollars in copper it might be i mean look at that thing still not I mean, gonna sell billy jenkins oh. was there and yeah i'm pretty sure he did pick it up at one point so yeah, I mean it doesn't look like much. Like you would think, oh, it's it's thin. Like no, bro, this thing's like probably three pounds, two pounds. Yeah, easily. It's not a little more. Easily. Sucker is no joke. 
man, we got everybody tonight. Yeah, we do. Steve Poole, Berkey, oh, JT. He was talking Jenkins. about the 1950s penny. Yeah, those were copper back then. Pre-1982, they were all copper. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it might be brass. I guess I could hit it with a hammer or something to see how soft it is. Because brass, you, brass, you look at it wrong and it freaking bends and. You know, I don't. I don't think it is brass too, because you'd have more green oxidation if it was. Yes. You know, especially yes. with handling and oils and stuff. You know, I, I have a lot of old vintage leather goods. That had many leather-bound le leather products that the leather has been softened over the years, and then the, the brass buttons and fixtures they just oxidize and turn green, and, and they start to get that green sludge like an old penny, you know. The green sludge. So uh, back to what were we talking about before? Green sludge. Pennies. Pen no, we had a hardcore departure on that one. To collectors' items in Day oh yeah, we're talking about Daytona. Yeah, we were talking about Daytona. So okay, um, it was awesome. I'm still very happy with the results as far as like how much stuff we ended up selling compared to what we thought was going to happen. So it was a good time, and I'm already looking forward to the next uh, next round. So rock and roll. Was so the one thing that I I, I wanted to get to on THP, uh, but the more bodies you add to a show, the less sort of gets covered. Is my my perspective on most of that. Uh, we didn't get to a whole lot. So one thing that I did want to ask was was there anything you wished you had seen more of? Like had was there was there stuff you would have been okay seeing less of and more of something else? Like what? No, I could say that. I didn't get to look the way that I would have wanted to. And I think it was because I didn't, you know, this is our first time fending for the magazine. And although I fended Daytona countless times working for other people, um, I've gotten in a habit of just doing whatever I want, whatever I want. You know what I mean? And yeah. just walking around. And if I want to spend 30 minutes at one table, I spend 30 minutes at one table. Well, it's this time... I was self-conscious about, you know, abandoning the table and walking away. So I would look around and then come back and look around and then come back. And, uh, yeah, Burke, it would have been awesome if you were there. So you, you and stone need to come next year for sure. Um, so I feel like I may not have grasped everything that was there. Uh, mm -hmm. but I also did not see certain species and I'm glad I didn't because I saw them last year. And that either means that I'm, I'm hoping that that means What's up, that people were taking a year off. You know what I mean? Like the roughies, for example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, last year, the last year, right. So I'm hoping that, that I'm hoping that either those people had people lined up pre-order to get roughies and that they all went to good homes. Or I'm also hoping that they gave their animals a year off and that next year is going to be an excellent production year. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, well, being a knobtail guy, like I remember last yeah. year, I saw I saw a good bit of knobtails. I think they were all Amy, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, you found only underwoodysaurus, right? So there was I mean, well, there was there... a so 
last year there was a hodgepodge of things. The majority, there's a handful of Amy I, uh, the majority were from Trace Harden because he was kind of moving away from his collection a little bit. He sold off a bunch of proven breeders he had just because he wanted to focus on other species. Uh, there was a handful of Levis Levis. And then there was a, a couple people that had, you know, uh, homemade underwood source, so, so to speak. It wasn't just wholesale stuff like, you know, Leland Ward from DW Geckos where I got some of mine. And this year that just wasn't there. And mm -hmm. uh, the only not actual nephros that I saw was a guy had a pair of an adult breeder pair of Amii, but he wanted an exuberant amount of money. And I know they, they did sell to someone. And I'm hoping that that was just because they were, you know, giant 40 gram adults and not because that's the way that people want to reflect the market. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, we, I mean, that's something we talked about Thursday was like we did notice prices on a lot of stuff were were high, but it was high to a point to where it's like this is abnormally high. Right. And right. like Billy said, he thinks maybe it was just people sort of seeing what they could get away with as far as selling stuff. Sure. Um. You know, there was, there was that pair of oxycephalum that I talked about. They won a thousand dollars for them. I mean, they were little worms, man. They were like fresh, fresh out of the egg. They didn't look great. Right. So I was like looking at them, like a thousand bucks, man. Really? Like, can you at least get the you know the, the stuck shed that's on this one? Like, one of them looked okay. The other one looked pretty rough. So I was like, yeah, that's and and I'm not knocking kind of I'm not knocking the person that was selling them, but my personal opinion, having never bred them before, but having seen a shitload moms that were imported dropped their eggs that's what that was so that was an example at least to me in my opinion i don't remember who the guy was or girl was but you know this is not a knock on them but that was a case of i produce these things let me see what i can get away with like you said yeah you know if they were maybe 450 i guarantee you some of the bottom yeah i would have tried my hand at them for that yeah like, oh, i mean for for something that's 60 bucks as an import. You know what I mean? I've never seen them for 60. Okay. I'm an old fart. And that's a, that's a world I'd like to live in though. I'm gone you somewhere. 60 bucks a pop. Yeah. It's cover food, man. Yeah. There was that Mike, uh, Mike Kosicki said, talking about those, that pair of Barons racers that Kayla Bell had. It was like the only pair that was at the show. And it was, it was funny. Cause I had so many people come to the table. They're like, did you see those Barons racers? And I'm like, yeah. And like, no one bought them. Everyone was pointing them out and talking about them. I was like, someone, like, if they're so popular, how come no one snagged them yet? Yeah, yeah. I did. It was cool to see the 100 flowers again. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a huge Mullendorfi advocate. Uh, a little little too steep for my blood. I had other things in my mind in, in terms of that route. But it was a good, it was a good variety again. Mm -hmm. You know, it may not have been as big a variety as it was last year. But everyone who came came to play, both the buyers and the sellers, and that makes me happy. My thing that I wanted to see more of, and I didn't see it last year either, was was Condros. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like I there was a like American Reptile Distributors had like a whole table of imported Biox and some other Jaipers and some other odds and ends, and then Underground had a couple and some jars, but like no one ever seems to have, and it's. I can almost guarantee you it's because people sell the captive bread stuff so quick online. They don't have to vend. There's no reason for them. No incentive for them to really pack everything up and, right. and vend somewhere because they've already sold all their stuff. They don't need to do it. Um, yep. 
it's the it's internet. Just always, it's a bummer that you know you don't see more captive bred chondros uh, tables. You know, people selling them like yeah. nice high end stuff. So yeah, the the internet is a blessing and a curse. So some of the ones that underground had did look pretty good. <clears throat> And uh, Dylan, they're called hundred flower rat snakes because, uh, at a at a glance, at a distance glance, they very much resemble wildflowers in the bush. They have a stark red head with, uh, you know, uh, uh, emerald and pine tree looking green that goes down the sides with some brown hues and accents. They're, they're gorgeous snakes. One of our, one of our favorites. Lafe Mullendorfi. Oh, you know what really bummed me out too is I didn't even notice them until I had already bought corns. But there was a table that had uh, a handful of really nice bimaculata. Yeah. Speaking I of a Lafe, man, some of those were just, they looked awesome. And I mean, they wanted 250 a pop for them. So I was like, I already spent all my stuff. So. Good morning, Mr. Iper. It would have been nice. Yeah, the Speaking uh of Iper. I wasn't I wasn't too gung-ho on things I wanted. I had things in my mind and the pyros were at the top of the list. I'm really, really glad I got them. But I honestly wasn't expecting to I knew how much they were gonna be, but I wasn't expecting to get that female that you told me about. So I'm glad that I did, but I, I I'm a little bummed that I didn't have more play money. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I'm glad because I would have spent it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I could have done some damage, man. It's too many, too many yeah. cool, cool stuff. Too much cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it was unusual, though. Not, you know, there was only one rhino rat at the entire show, which I thought was interesting. Cause it's really like just more. One. Yeah, there's more people producing those now than I think there's ever been. I mean, I said that last year, but it seems like they're continuing. There's speak of the devil. There's there's Kevin right now. Oh yeah, look at uh, that. You know, I was surprised to see that, but I guess that's another thing where you know they're they're so in demand that people sell them before they even have any to take to a table. So it is what it is. But yeah, I also think that uh, Daytona originally was, and I, I could be talking out of my butt on this one, but it was to my understanding that Daytona was that the timing of the show was planned because. Kids were out of school, and it was right before they're going back to school. You know, the family family vacations typically happen in June and July. They don't typically happen in August. And at the same time, most of the clutches and litters of animals would have been hatched or laid or born in late spring and in spring. So now you have several weeks and a couple of months to get things up to par and right. bring them to the show. And I know that every year, I don't know if that's because our husbandry is getting better or species are, are you know, being acclimated to our hemisphere or what have you. But I feel like so many people, they, they either don't go to Daytona because they got stuff in the incubator and it's going to pop any day, or they don't bring everything they can because it's just not ready yet. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and not seeing any rough scales too, like we said. You know, you went from seeing a, there was a handful of tables with them last year uh, to now. I mean, I didn't see any at the show, but I could have easily missed them, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I also think that certain tables, um, like sim containers, for example, sim setup was gorgeous. The way they had it with the black and the lights looked great. 
completely different than every year they've done in the past. And I feel like there was a third of the animals that they've had in the past. And I don't know if that was because certain individuals like, uh, I don't know if Ron Petro was there or not, but like I know normally he brings a crap load of geckos and smaller stuff. And they just didn't have the diversity, but the stuff that they brought was tip top. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I'm wondering if it was a table space issue, if it was a, we're working with different species issue, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like the things that were brought to the show were fantastic, but there could have been more, and maybe we'll see that next year. Who knows? Yeah, and Scott said less death is a good thing, less wild caught. Uh, yeah, and that that is one of the nice things about Daytona is I think Wayne makes a point to make sure it's not nothing but importer flipper tables. Well, it should be. It's, I'm pretty sure it is a rule that it must be kept. Right. Obviously, people bend the rules. I was going to say. I mean, you yeah. see, that there's plenty of tables that that's not the case. But uh, right, but they're the, they're not the all thing is, right. Crappy looking imports that are I would, you know, borderline dead already. I would confidently say that at least eighty percent of the show is genuine bona fide Captain Brad. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. So. That's one reason Daytona has a has a leg up, I think, on a lot of shows in general. I mean, A, because it's one of the oldest and most historic shows in the country. One of the yeah, largest shows in the country. 32nd this year? Yeah, 32nd year. Um, and that's... Like, we need shows like, like Daytona and Tinley. And I guess our, we could throw Arlington in there, too, because that's NARBC as well. But because those shows sort of have a, a, a history that is a big reason I think it gets a lot of the draw it does because it's, it's, it's Daytona, you know, it's like, it's, right. it's the big show. It's the uh, big show. But it's nice. Cause they actually, they, they really do take an effort to make sure that it's fairly diverse and that there's not a bunch of wild caught stuff. And, you know, there are quality vendors there doing their thing. And, um, you know, you got multiple, uh, cage makers, you got oh, multiple yeah. feeder source people. like, I know yeah. with some of the circuit shows, you know, like Repticon, like they'll have a contract where one person can is the food, the feeder guy for those shows in that, I guess, particular region. And so it's kind of that that kind of sucks because then it allows them to sort of jack their prices up a little bit because they're it, you know. Sure. And I, I'm I'm a firm believer in friendly competition, you know, is the spice of life. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like maybe it would be better if there wasn't just one rodent guy or one fish guy. You know what right. I'm saying? So. Yeah. It is like Daytona is such a big show too. It's like, there's no way one person can, can carry enough inventory that whole weekend to, to keep things afloat, you know? Right. Right. And then so I know it's nice to have another option. And then you also have like some of those rodent people and some of the plant people, Mm -hmm. They're kind enough to hang on to your stuff until you're ready to leave. So, like, if the rodent guy doesn't bring a spare freezer, they have to mark what's sold with the person's name and all that jazz. The plant people have to have a separate section where they put all the plants of the ones that are sold so that they're not selling somebody's somebody's plants, you know, or whatever. So I know that that is a, a big deal. And I feel for them on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike, I would I would agree with Miguel. Yeah, he, uh, he said, "Is there a West Coast equivalent Daytona? It would probably be Pano Panoma or you know one of the super shows 
either yeah. of them, I guess. Yeah. But you it's need also, you, you need it, these quality shows to 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 get you excited and make people want to go to them. Man, you know, if, if it's, I hate I, I hate to say it. I'm not I'm not trying to you know talk bad about Repticon by any means, but I don't I don't attend those as much as I used to, hardly at all anymore. And it's mostly because. A, like I want to go on a Saturday, and I'm usually working Saturday. Um, yeah. But B, it's it's if I have a day off, like if I'm off on a Saturday and a show's happening, I got you know nothing else to do. It's a nice little half day trip to go up there and check it out and make your rounds and talk to people and then go home. But uh, they're often it's it's usually just it's whether you go to Charleston, whether you go to Columbia, whether you go to Jacksonville or Tampa. It's usually the same vendors, and so like I don't really feel much in, like there's no real need for me to go. When I know like Columbia's coming up in two months, you know I'll just I'll yeah. catch them, I'll catch them there kind of thing. So well, the I've nice thing to... about about Daytona and the bigger shows is like sort of the exclusivity of like this only happens once a year, this only happens twice a year. Like yeah. quality vendors, like there's there's much more. I guess finesse would be the word. Like there's much more. Uh, it's more focused. You know, it's okay. it's not doesn't feel as as erratic and sort of. I guess flea marketish. Yeah, I uh, the only shows I've ever been to are in Florida, South Carolina, and Hamburg and PA. Those are the only shows I've ever been to. And <clears throat> excuse me. And one of my favorite shows that I've ever been to, for a, a bizarre reason, was when there was a Repticon at FIU in Miami, and Marcus wanted to go down, and for whatever reason. I had, I don't know if I had the day off or something, my schedule changed and I was like, oh, I can go, Let, let's do it. So him and I you know, went down there and we saw, it was maybe an eighth the size of Daytona. Mm -hmm. And it was majority ball pythons and hognose at the time, that's what was trending. And there was a lot of import stuff and it was a lot of the people that we already knew but there was a bunch of people that were private keepers and breeders that came out of the woodwork because they lived in Monroe County in the Keys or they lived mm -hmm. in South Dade. And for them to drive north to you know downtown Miami, it, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, whatever it was, that's not a big a deal. But they were never going to go to an Orlando show. They were never going to go to a Tampa right. show. They were never going to go to a Daytona show. You know? And maybe they vend on the internet, but it, even still, they had you know 10 animals on their table, but those 10 animals they had were stellar. And it was very cool to meet those local people that never really get out, you know? So I can tell right. you, if, if, if you live, you, the listener, you, the viewer live in an area where there is a local show, as small as it may be, go just to meet the people, you know, mm -hmm. see who's working with stuff in your neighborhood and your area and, you know, make connections, make friends. And if they have something cool, buy it from them, you know, support them. So I do like the little shows in that regard. But like you said, when it's the same twenty vendors across yeah, the entire it's state, like a, like a carnival at that point, it's just yeah, you know, exactly travel and circus. Yeah, it's it's you know the same the the same carnies at the same you know Renfest, whatever you want to call it. Nothing against carnies or Renfest. But then there's sort of that old debate <laughs> that people are like, well, if you want the shows to get better, you know, 
attend them so that they have more money and and there's more more of a drive for vendors to go and vend because there's more people going but at the same time it's like if you know what to expect and it's it's tough like i don't know what your sort of position on on that kind of thing is where it's like yeah i have a local show semi regional whatever you know it's like it's it's usually fun to go but it's never something that i'm like compelled to go to or feel compelled to go to uh yeah and it's it falls in line with like what dylan's saying what eric burke says all the time is voting with your dollar and right you know it's it's a little different with daytona because that's a once a year thing it's like you either go or you don't and you're gonna miss out if you don't you know you're gonna regret it right uh, but like you know with the with the regional shows and stuff that that columbia charleston all that stuff um I don't know. I mean, the last time I went to the Charleston Trail, I was like, I, I don't really have any desire to come back. Like, there just wasn't, didn't do anything for me. There wasn't really anything there that I was interested in. Um, yeah. But in the same token, like people are right if they're, if they want to see things get better, like I guess you kind of do have to go there and support it and hope that it eventually it does. Yeah, I think it also comes down to the promoter as well, and I say that only because. <clears throat> excuse me, forgive me for clearing my throat so loudly. Um, I think it comes down to the promoter and how accommodating the promoter is. So in my line of work, we don't do shows anymore because it's not beneficial to us to do them. Um, we did them for almost a decade and it paid off and we got exposure and we sold stuff. But <clears throat> certain promoters, if you don't show up to every single show, you lost your spot. And instead of having five tables right in the front, right when people walk in, guess what? You're either off the list or you're back of the line, and now you're stuck in the back of the show in the corner where no one's going to walk that way. And things like that is what is detrimental to a show. Burke said, when I saw someone selling ball pythons out of two-liter bottles, that was it for me and Hamburg. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, and you would think, too, that's kind of the thing that blows my mind is like, it seems like there's diminishing returns when you keep shows like that, where you're you kind of like the you don't strive to find vendors that are that are wanting to bring quality stuff to the table. Well, and it's not even that. It's not you don't have to find the vendor looking to bring quality stuff because those ball pythons may have been of quality, but there comes a, a point when the promoter or someone who's in charge of security or you know, whatever have some some couth, have some class. Mm -hmm. Say, you know what? You can't shove a, a, a ball python in a Pepsi bottle. You have to get a deli container. You have to get some kind of acrylic container. No one says you have to spend $50,000 on a booth, but you can't show up with an RC Cola mm -hmm. with the label still on it and a, a freaking Lacerda stuffed inside. I think a good so. example is the, you know, the guy that's doing the Herp shows. Like I hear nothing but great things about those shows, and I've heard people talk about how if if there's something on a table or something doesn't seem like something isn't isn't driving with you know their sort of branding of the show and like wanting to have high you know quality vendors and stuff like that, like he will go and tell someone straight up like this needs to change. Like, yeah, you've got, this needs to come off the table because it looks like it's dead yeah. or been dead, you know, stuff like that. So it seems to me that it would be wise to strive for that kind of stuff um you know saying well we already have three tables with you know all the same imported stuff that these other tables are already selling you know so why would i 
why would I okay another table doing that? But at the same time, you know, the other side of that coin is that's another $400 for a table or whatever. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. We just need to fill space. So, yeah. But I think in order, like long term, I would think that if you want a show to really take off and be known as like a really high quality, good show to where, you know, you people want to go back, like people don't want to miss it to make it like a Daytona or a Tinley. You know, it would be really making sure that that you have just good choice people and animals and stuff at you know at those shows and having sort of setting a standard i guess is probably the better way to put right, it right of course having the class having the cooth having the respect the self respect and the show respect to be presentable you know no one's saying that you have to wear a suit and have you know a fitted tablecloth if you want to throw a, a normal bed sheet down and throw some deli cups out more power to you as long as the animal is infested with mites and living in its own feces. So, which I did not see either of those at Daytona. Just, you know, preface. Uh, I did see some stuff though that I wasn't, wasn't really down with. It wasn't necessarily that in terms of like conditions, but like baby Eastern hog noses. It's like, and a lot of them, you know, it's like someone's, someone's going to get that. Someone's going to be like Ryan Cox and get all excited and buy that and then just, have nothing but headaches as far as getting those to eat and but see you just contradicted yourself because in my personal opinion ryan cox is extremely educated in what the care and husbandry and need would be for a baby southern hog nose oh for sure but he's you like because I mean? he's he's excited about him like i, I chose him as an example because he loves eastern hogs but right other people are going to see that be like oh those are really cute i see those in my backyard all the time i'm going to grab one and then you know a month or two from now they have one very dead hog nose and they get frustrated because they couldn't get it to eat mice. And it's like, I don't. I understand. It's with a fine like, line. With stuff like that, I think there needs to be a pretty big sort of disclaimer of like, hey, you're going to get this and this isn't going to be as easy as you're thinking it's going to be. You know, I'll sell it to you, but understand this is this is what needs to happen. Right. But that comes down to the morals and ethics of the person selling the animal. Because, you know, there could be a 16-year-old a, a kid who says, oh, man, I really want to try this. And there's a bunch of reed frogs in my yard. I can get a couple of reed frogs and scent it. And he's listened to podcasts. And she has, you know, done her homework and blah, 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 blah. And then buys that snake for 20 bucks and has a hell of an adventure ahead of him. You know what I mean? Or it could be the guy or the girl selling the animal deli cup going, yeah, they're kind of finicky, but here it's twenty bucks, whatever. And and that comes down to the seller asking themselves, "Do I want to sell this animal, knowing it's probably going to die in this person's care because they didn't do their homework and I asked them that, or should I sell it to them anyway because they're going to buy from somebody else? It might as well be from me." And that's that know. comes I mean, that the, comes down to the ethics. The one selling those in particular, I. I highly doubt that was a right i'm, I'm playing that was a mode that was a, a motive there you know it's it's it was probably one of those things where it's like yeah i'm gonna sell it and probably die but i'm gonna take it home and guess yeah it'll probably die too so whatever i just there's stuff like that i mean salcata tortoises are a good example like mike mike brought up you know it's just you know the number of people that are going to want to buy that it's it's going to be more of a I, in my opinion i think it's going to be more of the less educated that have the impulse than the people that are truly like, I love Eastern hogs. I really want to, you know, buy a handful of these and try my hand at them and do what Kevin Fisher does. And 
I just I don't see that being the case with a lot of you know a lot of people eyeballing those at the table. <laughs> Bill comes in with the <laughs> He'll chew the frog up himself for sending at that price. Nice. Yeah, Look, and Dom said she got emails for people trying to surrender three cell cutters this week. You know, it's yeah, but think about how many people got baby sulcatas and raised it up and had a family pet that lived for 40, 50, 60, 100 years. You know what I mean? You can't you can't automatically assume that it's going to go south. You know? I wouldn't necessarily assume it's going to go south, but if if it were but a, a matter kinda, of but you if it were a matter of if it were a matter of odds, I'd probably say it's it's likely going to people I'm still saying my my expectations would not be my hopes would be high expectations would not be yeah, but I mean, we're we're I'm doing my damnedest nowadays to try to not judge books by their cover, despite me really wanting to. You know what I mean? And that comes down to vetting the customer. So, if I'm vetting the customer and they tell me, "Hey, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z," and I say, "You know what? All right, let's do this. Let's sell you this animal." It's not on me per se because I vetted them and they told me and they made me feel comfortable. Yeah, and that's me. one thing you can only do as much as like you, right. you can only you can only work with the information you have at the time. Like that's that's not on you if someone's going to straight up lie to your face about you know if they're prepared they have all this they have all that you know we can only do so much but you know kevin said where are all the silk cut is going that's a good question that's what the same question i asked about full full blood retics where are all the retics going yeah i don't see that many big retics anymore well maybe they're doing the right thing and they're feeding appropriately and they're not getting a lot to of be small ones 30 foot you know I see a lot of babies I don't see a lot of monsters. <sighs> Phil, you've shaken my faith in humanity. Why have why have I shaken your faith? I don't know. I think just it's the general devil's advocate playing that you and Billy like to do with me all the time. Well, no, man, because I'm extremely pragmatic. Okay. And my thought process is I'm going to think of all the bad things that could happen, not saying they're going to, not assuming they're going to, but God forbid they do. I am mentally and physically prepared for them. And some people call that pessimistic. Some people call that glass half empty. And I try not to look at it that way. And I'm trying to be more Chris Penshaw about life, you know, very oh. positive, very uplifting. And I think about all the people that bought a baby sulcata. And two years later, they stuff it on Dominique's doorstep, right? But then I think about, you know, some little kid who really wants a pet tortoise and mom and dad do homework and realize that, you know what? Sulcatters are a pain in the ass and they get gigantic, but they're really good pets if you take care of them and have the space. And hell, we got a yard and we got a space heater. Why not get little Susie or little Tommy a baby sulcata? And now you've sparked a love of tortoises in that kid and they grow up to be in our community. And now they're, you know, learning about tortoises and spreading science and knowledge and maybe doing some breeding on their own and whatever else. And I just, I try to look at it that way and not in the way of they're going to put it in a cardboard box and it's going to die. I, I try not to think about that. But you have to remember that reality is going to take out its pecker and slap you across the face with it. 
yeah, and I don't think that's going to be the case. Just remember, <laughs> wax on, wax off. I don't, I don't know, man. Okay. How come, like, like Russians and stuff, Hermans? What happened, like, how come, how come we don't see people selling a boatload of those rather than Solcutas? Like, those are even because, better because because they they do, they they sell them by the you know kiddie pool full. <laughs> so I've seen it myself, and they make great pets. The problem is no one's captive breeding them. So when you have a show that is specifically captive bred animals, you're not going to see a kiddie pool full of you know, golden Greek tortoises. You're just not going to. You're going to you see a handful of little ones on a table, maybe. But Spurthys, which are captive bred in large numbers, those you'll see. Actually, I wow. used to have pictures from back in the day of literal literal kiddie pools with 100 Hermans in each did one. Did you do tortoise angels get in there? And No, no, I did not. <laughs> Sounds like so. an opportunity missed. Dom said the thing with tortoises specifically that's super interesting is that they usually come from elderly people like grandma who wanted a pet uh, and she took care of it for 12 years, but now it's too heavy. And then she said they get a ton of Russians into the rescue a lot more than Solcutta's actually. Then Bill said small tortoises are significantly more expensive. Uh, and Bill agrees with Dom that a lot of surrender Solcutta's are from older people. So, Yeah, but... Take that osteo biflex, and then you won't have that problem. Yeah, but you're again. This is this is a, and I'm not discrediting them because they work with legitimate volunteer organizations that do legitimate animal rescues. I'm not discrediting them, but you'll never get the statistics of how many are kept and loved. You'll only see the ones that are tossed away, and that that's the same as you know. Anytime you get a, a compliment on the internet. You know, a compliment on Yelp or whatever, Google Plus, whatever. You'll see a thousand bad reviews because people are always going to write a bad review, but they very rarely write a good one. You see what I'm saying? So if you have a thousand people and in that thousand people, 900 had a great experience, but the 100 didn't and the 100 people are the only ones that wrote bad re wrote reviews at all and they're all bad, that's well, going to make it look crappy but you'll never hear about the other 900 people that had a great time. So we always got to take that into consideration, at least in my opinion. For sure. Yeah. Plus algorithms are shitty. You know what I mean? You have 10 star reviews, right? And all of a sudden you get one bad one and it drops you down to a four. Fuck that. Yeah. It's a good show overall. I enjoyed it. Um, it was. Like I said, they're important. You know, even if it's just getting to see people, you you never, like Jeff and Kendra, man, they came from all the way, literally yeah. across the country, like corner to corner. You know, like they're not going to fly down for, for any of the smaller shows or something, but it's like Daytona and Tinley. It's a special occasion. Like there's a reason they're so huge and so popular. It's because it's an event, you know, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a big deal. So, yeah. I'm glad. I thought it was a great show. I loved seeing all of our friends, meeting people, putting, as Jake says, you know, faces to names and faces to voices. You know, and that's mm -hmm. what it's all about. It's great. I and do we all hope, came home with cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I do hope that it continues. Uh, I mean, as most of us know, like Wayne Hill is, is getting older, and I know he's had some health complications in recent years, and 
you know so the, i guess the big question from a lot of people now myself included is like what's going to happen like how's that what happens when he's gone you know does that torch get passed does does it just die off surely someone's going to pipe up and and keep it going like i have a very hard yeah. time believing it's just going to get dropped and forgotten no it won't it may get renamed it 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 may i hope that it doesn't get moved but it will continue to go on because such is tradition you know mm -hmm. Even if it turns out to be not a show at all and it's just a gathering of the juggalos. Well, I was going to say, uh, you guys ever heard of a mountain man retreat? You know, Steve Ranello always talks about the mountain man retreat where back in the 1830s, mountain men from across North America would converge. And I, I want to say it's Bozeman, Montana, but somebody please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and they would meet there. And the whole point of it was to trade goods. It was, I ran out of you know, lard, I ran out of gunpowder, I ran, I, I ran out, of, I needed new pelts, you know, whatever. And mountain men would swap their fares and their wares and drink themselves stupid, have a grand old party for a week and then go back to the mountains and the wild frontier. Even if it turned out to be something like that, you know, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. it, it keeps things going. How that would be interesting if you had a show that was all trades only. It would be. It'd be kind of a shit show, but it would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So you're getting a lot of rain because of this hurricane. Uh, not a lot, but it's it was weird, man. Before that, when that hurricane was coming up the Gulf, the weather down here was so great. It was like 82 degrees and windy. And just not a cloud in the sky, and it was great. And now it's just like hot and gross. It was it was nice and cool this morning when I walked out, and I figured it was because of that. So finally, it's not ninety five degrees with a heat index of like one ten. It's actually comfortable. So yeah, a friend of mine posted a picture of a Diamondback up in you know just north of Orlando, and. The caption was, you know, uh, autumn is here or some something similar to that. And all I could think of was, dude, it is 98 degrees out with 110% <laughs> humidity. There ain't no freaking autumn. Like on a calendar, sure, autumn's here. But Mother Nature says, eh, let's give it a few more weeks. Yeah, right. Like I'm expecting, honestly, I'm expecting one more hurricane or at least a tropical storm in September. Because there's always a tropical something in September. That's just, that's just how it goes. So. Well, it's, that's interesting you talk about that and how people are seeing stuff. I just I just joined one of the uh, snake ID groups for South Carolina. Right. And I figured out now that that's actually might, like joining those groups might not be a bad idea in terms of figuring out when stuff is starting to move. Because I've seen it just within the last couple of days, I've seen a ton of people posting baby hogs. Oh, yeah. So it's like, oh, it must be baby hog season coming. Like Hogtober's on, you know, coming in a little early so i, I was like yeah. i should like, why didn't i do this sooner because now i can, can sort of have an idea of this is what people are starting to see this is what's starting to move around more and oh yeah using that yeah i, I mean i use it for my stuff uh my stuff too is the stuff i keep captive uh is like the south african id groups right or snakes of southern africa id groups mm -hmm. and like they'll say oh it's you know june and the sand snakes are moving you know what i mean and things like that it's like okay so now i need to vary my temperatures accordingly i can vary my humidity accordingly 
because now things are, you know, I've noticed in the pictures, what's in the background, is the grass brown and dry or is the grass lush and green? Think things like that. That's what made me post about the coral snake thing the other day because someone posted on Ladies Island they saw a coral snake and I'm like my neighbors see them all the time and not like they saw a scarlet snake and thought it was a coral snake like they actually have pictures like they have verifiable proof that it was in fact a coral snake and they see them all the time but I haven't seen a live one in I don't know how many years well I've, I've never found road one. pizzas but it's like it's, it's like the, the the people that don't want to see snakes are always the ones that find the coolest ones and the people that do want to see course. them are the ones that they're like cursed like you, you don't get to see them and yeah yeah you know, a couple people piped up about you know they find them all the time and it's like well yeah down in florida and stuff they're, they're i think they're considerably more common um but it's it's like Katie even saw one. She was at the neighbor's house yeah. letting the dogs run around, and there, lo and behold, there was a, there was a coral. And I'm like, she sent me a picture, and I'm like, it was like 10 a.m. in the morning too. It was like 10:30 or 11. It was pretty late. And I'm like, what the hell? I just yeah, I just want to see a damn coral snake, man. You're telling me, man. I don't want to photograph been doing this. It. How long? Never seen one. I don't want to do any. I just I just want to see a coral snake alive. Because that's one of those yeah. species, man. You can see pictures and videos of them all day long, but until you see one in front of you and watching it move and the colors just like blend and create this, it creates this weird like optical illusion almost when those things yeah. jet off. Like those bands, just, it's, it's like the bands almost look like they move faster than the snake is. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of kind of hard to describe, but. Well, maybe one day I'll get to see it. Just want to see that. Yeah, I saw a ring neck in front of my or house. Or you for could the come up here and maybe look for some. That is true. That is true. Yeah. <sighs> Seeing that freaking close. I've never found a ring neck. Really? Well, I've been in the spot Chase that I'm at now. He sees ring necks all the time. I've never yeah. seen one. I the spot I'm in now. I've been here over five years now. And that was the first time I've ever seen a snake, and I've had multiple neighbors. Because, like, they don't know I do what I do. You know what I mean? Um, they're like, I saw a snake. Be careful. Mm -hmm. like, really? What did, what did it look like? And they show me a picture, and there's a, a floor of water or brown water <laughs> in their kitchen or whatever. And it's like, how come you couldn't come to my house? You know? So, yeah, man, I saw that ring neck. I went to grab him. That's been interesting, too. too. Normally, I'm, there's a. Yeah. Normally, there's a ton of, of Nerodia and stuff in the skimmer box at my parents' house. You know, babies usually. It's not uncommon for them to find at least a couple throughout the year, but I've, I've yet to find one. There was just that snapping turtle recently, and yeah. I think a little red-bellied snake. But that was it. Pools are great if you can get to them and check them regularly because they're like perfect traps for that kind of stuff. But if you don't look at it, you just end up with a scare box full of dead frogs and toads. And yeah, that's crappy stuff. Yeah, that's that's yucky. I saw a lot that, of uh, uh, narrow mouth toads. Oh yeah, the uh, Henry got a new pool. They are they, they make a very unique sound. Um, Henry got a new pool this year, 
and him and his wife have been using the crap out of it. And obviously, you get a brand new pool. You're very meticulous about keeping it clean and checking the water levels and the chlorine levels and all that. And he's been really fishing stuff out of his pool, amphibians and reptiles, every day, every every morning and every night. And I sent him a picture. Uh, there's a company. I don't know who it is. I think we talked about it on here maybe. Of It's a clip-on ramp that mm-hmm. floats, and it allows frogs and snakes and lizards to get out of your pool. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, my parents got one recently, but they keep not putting it in their pool. I think they need to make them bigger, honestly, because when I saw it at my parents' house, I was like, if you got a bigger pool, that thing, like, it's going to, hopefully they come across that in time, you know, before they get exhausted and drown. But it needs to be, like, three times the size that they are to make any sense. But whatever. We've been fortunate so far, as far as hurricanes go, to where South Carolina hasn't really, I guess, I mean, this East Coast this side of the of Florida really hasn't uh, hasn't seen much action, even though, like they say every year, that it's going to be the most active hurricane season they've ever seen. Um, yeah, but it does make me nervous, especially after Matthew. Uh, at the time, that was when I was I was heavy into cresteds and breeding those, and uh, when you realize that a giant storm is coming your way and everyone's got to leave, like. We still need to do this because I think we we talked about it in the past about some sort of checklist or something to put together for evac situations as far as supplies and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but having some sort of plan in place, especially if you're keeping Venice, which I'm sure you'll cover in a, a etiquette video at some point, I would hope. Well, as uh, well as this article that I'll be giving you tonight. Yeah, thanks for cursing us now, Mike said. Knock on Great. wood. Uh yeah, so my my sort of emergency plan or kit, I guess you would say, is like a gigantic tote, like a Christmas tree tote size kind of deal, almost filled with water, a ton of different deli cups, steak bags, um, extra like deli cups for. Uh, and then filling that, you know, having smaller tubs, appropriately sized tubs to where the snake can, will be okay in those for, you know, a week or so. Um, probably some heating mats wouldn't be a bad idea to have in there. Uh, bedding, it's an extra bag of bedding or something just to, to keep in there, paper towels, all that good stuff. So uh, basically I wanted to have that in the closet ready to go. Like literally just had to throw animals in there, snap the lid on and be out. Uh, I think the biggest problem, and I'm sure this is going to be the case with a lot of people, is if you're you're evacuating, you're taking a lot of other important stuff with you too, you know, documents, whatnot, fire safes, good, you know, whatever. Um, is finding the space in a vehicle, especially if you have like a smaller car, like a Prius or something like that, like it's going to be a little different. So I don't know what sort of your SOPs are for that kind of thing, or you know, if you have something too where it's like I can just bag everything and go. I know it's, it's a little different with venomous. You know, it's a lot different yeah. with venomous, but yeah. So my protocol is uh, I have an inner room of the house uh, that has no windows. Um, everything gets containered and then locked in wooden crates and then placed in that room. However, now I have more stuff than I ever have. So, like for example, the Renkals, 
um, I have these plastic, um, I guess they're salad containers. They're circular and they have a lid and the lid only fits on one way. So you put the lid on and then turn it and it can't come off. Right. Um, it's actually, it, it's actually super sketchy and dangerous when you're trying to get the lid off of it. Um, and I'm, I'm, my protocol in my mind is I'm going to put a, a, a Cobra in each one of those and then they stack and I have seven gallon, not five gallon, but seven gallon buckets with screw on lids that have uh, labels that say, you know, danger of venomous reptile, you know, do not open that kind of thing. And I'll use those in lieu of the wooden crates because I could fit almost everything into the wooden crates except for the recalls just because of their size and everything. So um, and that reminds me, I have to get one more crate for the big gaboon because she won't fit in anything. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so essentially I'm going to stack those delis, those salad containers inside the seven gallon bucket with the screw on lid and then place that in that inner room. Um, I'm not in, in a flood zone, knock on wood. So I'm not too worried about that. And remember in down by me, almost all the buildings are concrete and almost all the buildings are hurricane glass. So, you know, I'm very lucky that I live where I live also because my community is essentially a peninsula and there's canals that are regulated with locks. So when the storm is coming, they regulate those locks and they lower them so that you know, storm surge comes in, it can disperse into that canal system. Mm -hmm. And all of my power lines, they're all underground. Right. So as long as like the main fuse breaker, which is like the size of a Buick on the end of the street, as long as that doesn't get thwacked by lightning, we never really lose power, knock on wood. So in that regard, um, I'm not too concerned, but if I lived elsewhere, I would have to have, I would definitively have to have a, a much different evacuation plan. Mm -hmm. you know? well, what about like lizards? Like what would you do with, uh, you know, like the sun gazers and stuff like that? Bags, man. Like what would you bring with you though? Like if they need uv and a lot of heat and stuff how do you well i mean i look at it this way is that let's say it would be your recommendation for that so my recommendation is if you're in a hot climate you have to do everything in your power to keep the animals cool if you're in a cold climate whether it be a blizzard or what have you or you just lose power from a normal rainstorm in winter when it's you know you live up north you have to have heat packs you know it, it even if you have to buy two or three of them at a time and save up for the whole year. You have to have heat packs and you can use hand warmers if you want um, insulation, even if you have like some wool blankets, things like that work for when you're cold um, and make the animal as comfortable as possible in their container, whether it be a snake bag or a deli cup, or a Fiji bottle, whatever you got, but make them comfortable because they're going to be fine living in that container for a week if need be. And you hope that after that week, you will have time to move to a better location and either give them some warmth, give them some cool or whatever. Um, if you're in South Florida and you get whacked by a hurricane and you don't have power for a month, you're going to have to figure something out. You may have to you know, leave them in those containers and bring a large tote full of the containers to a friend's house that has power or inside someone's garage that has a generator with fans blowing or something. And and you just, you act accordingly. You know, that's the only thing you can do. You know, we just, we hope that we'll get power sooner than later. 
Yeah, Texas, you know, with that, that stuff that happened earlier this year, that's a good example of, of people not expecting things to happen the way they did. And... Right. And that's you have to have some kind of plan. If I lived in, you know, fuck, if I lived in Montana, you better damn well believe I'm going to have an, a, a crate full of heat packs and hand warmers, enough to put one underneath every single deli of every single animal that I'm in a container for that blizzard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I had, when I, I was, you know, I moved some animals from my, my late mentor and I had to sleep in an empty room on a hardwood floor when it was 30 degrees outside with over a hundred snakes. And I had one heater, you know what I mean? And that heater was just enough. I literally huddled all the snake bags around that heater. And I froze my butt off, but the animals maintained, you know, high 60s. And that was enough to just keep them okay for a couple of days until things got better. Um, but, you know, they have hand crank stuff. They have hand crank small power generators. You know, they have solar panel generators. Like, in our day and age, there's no reason why you can't have a contingency plan or a backup plan or whatever in the event that something could happen. We just go back to talking about being pragmatic. You know, if you know that you're going to expand your herpetological collection and you live in an area that's prone to blackouts in winter because you get a lot of snow and the power lines fall over from the snow, you got to have a case of hand warmers or, or maybe you're going to stock up on firewood. Maybe you have a maybe you have a central fireplace in your home or a wood stove, and you're gonna put your snake bags in Rubbermaid tubs, and you know festoon them around the fireplace. You know who knows? You, you make do with what you have, and, and you plan accordingly. Dylan says he uh, I have a pillowcase for everything and a, a giant tub with heat tape on the bottom and lid, power strip, and two thermostats on top with a converter that I can run off my car if needed. The converter is actually a really good idea. Especially hurricane season, like if they're doing evac, I don't know if you've, if anyone's ever been in an evacuation route, but the roads are packed, traffic's backed up because you have literally millions of people trying to go in the same direction at once. Right. So the roads get pretty backed up. Um, and Christian said, I think a magazine article or a podcast highlighting what people from different climates do in emergencies would be a good idea, which I concur. Yeah. Well, this article that I'm going to give Justin tonight is not based on emergency evac it's simply on transporting your animals whether it be to a friend's house for a breeder loan or because you're moving across the country um, and just to give people an idea because so many new people that read the magazine and listen to the podcast maybe they don't have friends like we do that are all herpers maybe they don't have uh they're not as savvy on the internet looking at certain things and shy of them getting a little white bag that their baby pet snake came in when they took it home from the pet store, they may not have the knowledge to, to think about how to go about this one way or another. And most people are resourceful and I'm sure people that read the article are going to go, Phil, what the hell did you write? We all know this. It's not for that. It's for people that do know to maybe get some more ideas and the people that don't know to maybe give them a segue to learn more on their own. Warren brings up a good point too. If you're willing to spend thousands to buy animals, you should be uh, be sensible and buy a suitable generator. Yeah, 
I mean, or you could live where I live, where I'm not allowed to have a generator. Are you not allowed to? Really? Nope. Because the way the buildings are, uh, they're afraid that of carbon monoxide, and because of the noise. And the because, potential fire hazard. Yeah. You have morons that have generators rolling in their garage. Yeah, I'm not allowed to have. Yeah, I'm not allowed to have a barbecue grill uh, anywhere except for on my patio. But the problem is, I'm not allowed to cook on it under the patio because the ceiling above me is uh, like plywood. Full you know of asbestos. Well, it's not asbestos, but the ceiling above me is plywood, and it's access to the fire ceiling. So they don't want they don't want you cooking on here. You know, so. It's Florida. Crazier things have happened. Yeah, right. Uh, Don Damn said, HOAs. Yeah. Don said, when I spoke with Ashley Howdy about the Texas storms, I was amazed at how they handled things. The quick thinking that was needed was out of this world. What a terrifying situation. Which, Yeah, and so like an article from different perspectives, given what area you're from in the country, because California doesn't worry about hurricanes. We don't worry about blizzards. Up north, doesn't, up north doesn't worry about wildfires, right? So yeah. everyone, every no matter what part of the country you're in, um, you know, there's tornadoes, there's earthquakes, like there's all kinds of things to be sort of prepared for. And granted, we have the. I think I, I'd actually I'd rather deal with with hurricanes and blizzards because at least you know those are coming, right? You know, like right. tornadoes and earthquakes and and wildfires. It's kind of like a, you know, you open your door and there it is. Well, shit. Yeah. Floods, yeah. That's a big one down here on the coast, especially if you're right on the water like we are. You know, we like with Matthew, we had the storm surge from the hurricane itself, but then we also had a king tide at the same time. So water levels were like unbelievably high around here. Like I had when I was living with with Doug at the time when Matthew was it Matthew? I think it, yeah. And like it might have been Irma, but we literally had minnows in our front yard, like in the grass swimming. Like that's how high the water was. Like I walked out in my bare feet, and there's literally minnows swimming around the grass. Is wild. Yeah, yeah. I got a video from my parents' house. Let me try and pull it up while you carry the story. Brendan Meyer said, "All I have to worry about is the good old-fashioned tornado." And Christian said he lives in the country in Pennsylvania. We lose power often, so I have a ventless propane heater in my room so I can keep my room warm without power. It's good. It's also wise. I mean, given given all the things you sort of have to keep track of, because if you have frozen feeders and whatnot, you know, you want to have some sort of plan for those uh, if you end up having to take them, unless you're just going to say screw it and, you know, they're on their own yeah. as far as calling and stuff like you're not going to be able to possibly take every single thing with you, but at least having some sort of. Yeah. I mean, place. for, for me, it's the, the individual animals um, because obviously I don't have a truck nor the mm-hmm. manpower to move all the cages and everything, but it's getting the actual animals containered to move. And then any of my, you know, bare essentials, and that's it. And you know, you cross your fingers and you know, you pray for the best. So, so it goes: animals, cigars, water, food, cell phone. Yeah. I'm so here, in the past two years, I've had a 
had my snake room flood up to three feet, and then we had sub-zero temps that also hit Texas. He said, thankfully, we maintained power in the ladder. So. Now, obviously, the video I'm about to show you guys is nothing compared to what's going on in Louisiana. It is nothing compared to what's happened in Texas last year or what mm -hmm. happened to, to New Orleans with Katrina or anything. But this isn't, just to give you an idea, this is what happens when we build a neighborhood in a swamp and expect nothing to happen. So It's crazy that things flood when you're pretty much below sea level. Right. Can you hear the uh, the audio or no? No, I can't. Okay. I don't know if everyone else can. Oh yeah. So this is my parents, you know, neighborhood. And I have my Subaru, and you know it's got a, a nine-inch lift on it, so it's it's pretty good. And and the intake is above, like the, the intake for the for the air is above the radiator and everything. So I don't worry about it. as long as water doesn't go directly over the hood or into the top of the hood. Mm -hmm. I'm usually pretty good. But this was a week after the storm. Yeah. So water had not subsided yet, and it's just. You deal with it. We yeah. literally had people paddle boarding down our street. Yeah. It's hilarious. People like break out their canoes and. Yeah. Gets goofy. Gets goofy. So. Fortunately, we're in, I'm, I'm in that little armpit of the East Coast. Where, for whatever reason, a lot of that stuff sort of skirts under us or above us and rarely actually dead center. Like, we get the eye of it and everything. Yeah. Yeah, we've had some pretty bad storms, but luckily, because, like I said earlier, the building's being concrete and our canal systems, you know, Florida learned a lot from Andrew, you know. And to this day, they still talk about how horrible Andrew was. So, you know, when something really bad happens, you know, you figure it out and you act accordingly you know no, no nobody knows this but lake okeechobee which is smack dab in the middle of the state um it's massive it's huge um people don't realize how big it really is i mean it's not like great lake big or anything but it's very very large you you physically can't see across it most days and um i don't know if it was 1932 or maybe 36 something like that uh, a hurricane came they obviously didn't have storm tracker back then and the lake overflowed and it killed like 30,000 people because it basically decimated like three towns that were neighboring the lake. So after that, they built a giant levee around the lake and they are constantly on a daily basis repairing it and fixing it and making it up to its standards. And there's a series of locks that go in and out of the canal system. So we haven't had a flood like that since then, but you look at somewhere like New Orleans where the levees keep getting destroyed because unfortunately the city's under sea level. You know, you gotta gotta make the best of it, sadly. You know, my heart goes out to those folks. It's definitely no fun. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, you can sit there and worry about, you know, your house while you're gone and all your stuff, but there's really nothing you can do about it. You just kind of have to accept that whatever you come home to is what you come home to and move yeah. forward, you know? 
Yeah. yeah as long as the animals are safe, it's just stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that was morbid. <laughs> What'd your friend have? Oh, no, I was going to say more morbid stuff. Uh, he lost a bunch of snakes in the fire, but we'll leave that one for another time because uh, let's 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 bring the positivity back to the show. That's always my biggest concern is is fires, and that's why you got to check all your thermostats and your heat tape and all of that, you know. So that's why like Jake, that. Jake has mentioned us splitting a building or something, you know, that's remote from from the house and whatnot, and like I'm all for it and everything, but at the same time, I. I I guess if there was a fire, there's really nothing I could necessarily do about it unless I'm there when it's actively starting. But that's well, like no, you, is. you make sure that there's a sprinkler system. You make sure that it, you have some kind of security system that has, you know, carbon monoxide detectors and fire alarms and all that jazz. You know, you pay the extra whatever it is, a couple hundred bucks a month, hundred bucks a month, whatever it is to have that service because you're legitimately offsite, you know? Mm-hmm. think about like the operations like underground man what they got to do in hurricane prep and whatnot like that's that's oh, yeah. stressful as hell oh yeah Making Absolutely. Sure everything's strapped down and mm-hmm. in place and not going anywhere yeah and, uh, and most of the the buildings that they use the framing of them is steel it's it's like a it's like almost like an i don't want to say it's like an industrial type thing but the even if the floor gave out, you'd be hard pressed to have stuff fall through because of the way it was constructed. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And there's no windows in any of the animal rooms, so you don't have to worry about you know a coconut going through a window or having hurricane glass or anything like that. So every room could be locked down, for lack of a better word. All the floors are concrete, so they're easily clean and stuff, and that makes a big deal with water damage and flooding and everything else. So. Yep. Proper prior planning prevents poor performance. That's my principal in high school always said. That's a mouthful, but I like it. The five P's. But the other thing we were going to cover tonight uh, was sort of my my new mentality on on morphs. Uh, there was a ton of corn snakes at Daytona. I ended up getting a handful of them, and my so I have my locality stuff that I will be a big big part of my focus. But after getting some morphs and and sort of catching up on on what people are working with currently in corn snakes. Now I kind of understand sort of why the morph thing is so, so heavy in, uh, in so many parts of her pediculture. And it's not even necessarily like for me, it's not wanting to do like a world's first kind of thing or anything like that, but just the, the infinite amount of combinations and possibilities. Like that's, what's exciting for me. Um, you know, especially the honey stuff in particular is kind of what I've been really drawn to lately as far as corns go. And I think that's kind of where I want to focus on slightly more, have, have a little more focus there uh, with the locality stuff. Um, 
yeah, it's just one of those things where you just think about you would, especially with ball pythons. So you would think that there would eventually they'd run out of combos, but after seeing what we have with corns now and stuff, like we're it, it's it's almost exponential. Like they're they're never going to run out of combinations of stuff. Um, and there's just that that exciting aspect of of taking things from opposite ends of sort of the color spectrum and putting them together and seeing what happens and. That's kind of what I like to do with Cresteds when I was breeding those. Is I'd take like a, you know, a concrete gray, dark animal male and pair it with a, like an orange, you know, fired up female and see what happens. So I definitely have a better appreciation for the, for the morph thing now. Um, and then, yeah, you know, Kevin said, I really like the idea of putting locality stuff into morphs. And that's definitely kind of part of my plan too. Um, still have, locality specific pairings and stuff but also when i have some extra stuff to sort of tinker around with and play with and uh tie it in so and seeing so many uh awesome awesome corns at daytona and and stuff that i have never seen before that's probably been around for a while but because i just haven't paid attention to that circle really i was completely oblivious to its existence and seeing it now it's just you know lee abbott had some of those those coral pink uh, animals and to think of what you could do with those, you know, tying anery into those things and seeing what happens. And there's just, that's the exciting part to me is like the, the not knowing, like you can take things anywhere you want to go. You know, like I love Tessera stuff, so I'm excited to tie Tessera into like everything. Um, yeah, I just, I have a new appreciation for morphs. I'll always love the locality stuff and sort of the natural corns as is the most, but like that honey motley man that's 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 a hard snake to beat those are they just that's an awesome looking animal uh yeah i'm eager to see what that thing looks like it's grown up you know seeing the stuff that jt's doing i don't know if he's still in the chat or not he, he popped in earlier uh you know watching his stuff really closely and just it's just the 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 prospect of you can kind of do whatever you want at this point there's so much stuff that you can work with and play with and you like Sure, it's probably like pairings of that, that you have in mind have probably been done already, but you know when you tie in other small stuff like the locality things, or you take some Miamis and you you know you you plug them in certain areas, like that's that's what's so exciting to me is just it's new new territory, you know, undiscovered country. That's horrible, Henry. Henry says he has a video of nice. mango eating a honey motley. Good thing I expect Henry and his sick, sick comments. Hey, even with the ball python stuff, yeah, I, we've, we've talked about how we're not super hip to a lot of it and what's going on. I'm pretty oblivious to most of it, but I can still acknowledge when there's a good, like when a ball python looks cool or a certain morph looks nice or a combination that's really killer, you know, I appreciate them for what they are. Um, you know, but I guess that's the case with anything, you know, Hondurans. I really like Anry Honduran milks, uh, hobby Hondurans, whatever you want to call them. So I just designer chondros. I know those are going to count. They're not, I guess, 
I, I don't know if I'd necessarily say morph is the, the word I'd use for some of those, even though there are some lines that have a certain phenotype, but who doesn't love designer Condros? Who doesn't love Condros, period? Well, you had me a designer, and then you were like, who doesn't love Condros, period? And I'm like, ah. But my apologies for making my phone ring. You know who that was? Who? Is that Henry? That was Billy Hunt. Oh, yeah? And I called him back to say, hey, man, jump in the show. He goes, I can't have it work, man. I didn't even realize this was Monday. I'm so sorry. So now we all have to make fun of him. Nice. The old work excuse. Yeah, right. Leaning on that shovel. <laughs> Fire hose and his his right. line of work. Yeah. Leaning on the old engine. <laughs> Leaning on the Dalmatian. Well, he, he called me one day for something, and like it was super windy and like loud noise, and I'm like, "Where are you?" I said, "He's on a roller coaster." I was like, "Are you in a fire engine?" He goes. Yeah, but I'm not driving. It's okay. We're going to lunch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, like, you could definitely tell he was inside a fire engine. I'm climbing you know? up a ladder right now on a burning building. I just wanted to call and ask you your opinion on this pairing that I'm planning. <laughs> yeah, that's our Billy. So. Hey, man. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And, Scott, don't encourage Henry to feed off. Yeah. Yeah, come on. I just I love that honey stuff, man. I don't know what it is. It's just that you know, the honey Miami stuff in particular, like like Mike was saying, it's just it's killer. Yeah. <clears throat> so can I switch gears and bring up the concept that you and Billy and Dominique and everybody else put in my brain of having live plants in the enclosure specifically for bettering the life of the animal, right? Yeah whether it be pothos, just in a water bowl, just to mm -hmm. get some fresh oxygen. Oh, speaking of. Yeah? Uh, stand by. So I've done this recently. And there's people that I'm sure will be very upset at the fact that I'm keeping chondros on puppy pad with a perch and a water bowl, but it works. Okay. I just I just took that picture the other day, and that's I've found I've come to find that if you just do like a whole plant, even if it's a small one, like that's one of the plants that Billy gave me at Daytona. Okay. Um. That's kind of what P and Cody have done in their racks. I don't know if you remember them having sort of decent sized pothos growing in the water bowl. Oh yeah. Um that's that's kind of what I want to go for with all of mine. I tried it with some other stuff just with like clippings and it doesn't seem to work out as well. I think you really need that nice sort of decent sized root ball and or that ganglia of, of roots instead of just a couple of trendles. Yeah. Um But I really like that and I I think it it Definitely, I've noticed uh, in in sort of the more arboreal racks of some of the chondros, it helps with humidity and that ambient. Oh yeah, like you can physically feel it being more more humid in, in the tub than outside of it. So, oh yeah. So here is you find that picture or no? I sent yeah, I texted it to you. Yeah, uh, texted to me. Is that easier? Do you want me to do? It, no, it doesn't matter. It just hasn't showed up yet. 
Scott said oxygen content, which is another good good reason why I like to have them in there. It's a, like a natural air filter in a way. Oh, this is this is beautiful. I love this. Standby. So this is a perfect segue for what I'm about to show you. This is great. You know, it's clean, it's crisp, it's fresh. And once that pothos really takes off, like I want it to climb and and you know fill out more. I mean, that's a small pothos. Like I said, that's one that Billy sent me. That's literally like from the the top of the root to the base of the plant is maybe like I don't know, five inches, six inches. So here is my grass. And I oh, yeah. do not have I do not have a green thumb. In fact, Billy gave me some beautiful pothos and it all died because Really? I can't keep something alive to save my life if it's green. Dude, I brought him home and just left him on the porch because he gave me a whole box full of plants and those things are already starting to like explode. So I have he gave me one big one in a pot, and that has become my bathroom plant. And it's doing well. It's good. Mm -hmm. It's actually getting uh, some, some I don't want to say variegation to it. Is that a word? Um, I guess so. Sure. And it's, it's good looking. But the ones that I put in enclosures, I think my African stuff is just too hot and dry. And even though, like, I put it in their water bowls, like, it just cooks in there. So um, this is wheatgrass. And my goal, for those who haven't been you know, following the, the grass progress, is I want to – I'm going to try and build net at least two naturalistic vivariums for wrinkles and they're grassland snakes. So I was trying to figure out, you know, what they live in is, is spear point grass and spear point grass grows very tall and needs high, high, high ventilation, mm -hmm. um, which you're not going to get in a vision cage. And that's, I'm building these in vision cages. They're big display visions. So I needed a grass that would literally grow in any condition. And everyone was like, well, just do wheatgrass, just do, you know, cat grass. So I went to, uh, Man, now I can't remember the company name. But anyway, I, I bought these seeds on Amazon. I got five pounds of them, not realizing how much five pounds of seeds yeah, was. <laughs> right? So this is my first, what I'm calling the cookie sheet. And I literally, uh, I'm going to, once I start to get things really growing, they look good and fresh and tall and green. Um, I'm just going to do like a quick little video of like, this is how I did it. It literally took X amount of time. And I don't have a green thumb and if i could do it anybody can do it so that's my biggest thing with this grass is even if it dies it'll still look cool because it'll be like dead grass in africa but even my dumb ass can grow grass indoors and i really think that this would be a great thing to throw into a vivarium even if you throw some seeds in the corner just to give it a little bit of extra life. So I threw some in with the coleonics. I threw some in with the uh, girdle tails. I have a little pot growing for Henry because he's going to give it to Mango. And then I have this cookie sheet. And this cookie sheet's been in my bathroom. Literally, like, it's on the sink right now. You know, when I use the sink, I put it in the bathtub just because I don't have room to put this thing. But it's been living in my bathroom for, what's today? Today's Monday. So since thursday and that's the growth since thursday wow and that's no light no nothing just in the bathroom um the ones is that, that i the put same stuff that like pet smart sells and the little yes. white is that what like the pet grass is what yeah, they call it the, yeah pet grass, about, cat grass yeah i've wondered if how well that would do as well like 
I think yeah. I wonder like if you just did Cypress mulch, if you just planted that in in a if you had a, like a inch, inch and a half, maybe two inches of cypress mulch in the bottom of something, and then put those seeds in that mix if those if it would do okay in that. Yeah. So uh, I put I gotta get it. I have to find the picture of the coleonics because coleonics is super duper humidity. And that grass is growing faster and greener than all the other grass just because of the humidity. Um, hmm. This is actually in a gerbil tail enclosure, which is super duper dry. But what I did is I'm keeping a wet paper towel on top of it uh, just to kind of give it some shade from the heat lamps. But this all, in this enclosure also has UVB. And that UVB is just making that shit grow. This is literally like three days. Oh. So... Yeah, um, I actually have, let me stop this. I have more photos of the process. Um, so I started off with, by the way, the company is Todd Seeds, and this is just normal wheatgrass seed. Uh, and I got uh, Eco Earth, which is just straight cocoa core. And I broke off a piece about the size of a baseball and I soaked it in hot water so that it expanded much faster than if you use cold water. And I just packed it down and, and I wrung out as much excess water as I could. And I mean, you can see it's literally just a cookie, a cookie sheet sized uh, uh, Sterilite. Or this is actually one of those cupcake tins. Um, you know, Dr. Wyman instructed me that that's what I should get and I packed it down and then I took the seeds and the seeds you'll notice they have these little white sprouts in them already when you first get the seeds they look like sugar smack cereal you know or like Rice Krispie treats almost yeah. right Rice Krispie cereal so I got a, a very tall deli cup and I and I poured in the desired amount of seeds and I filled the deli cup full of water and I let them soak in water for 24 hours and after 24 hours, they got these little sprout thingies. And again, for all those you guys listening to this who have a green thumb, and they're like, well, Phil, you're a moron. You don't know how to germinate seeds. I, I don't. So this is all new to me. So I'm excited to get over it. Um, and then I just sprinkled them across the whole, you know, Sterilite, and then just put wet paper towel on top, just damp, because I didn't want standing water. And, uh, and that's it. And now I have little grass growing. So I'm going to try and get it as tall as I can before I actually put it into the enclosures because I want to see how well the root system attaches to that cocoa core right. and makes makes a sod sheet, basically. Um, I'm hoping it makes a sod sheet. Um, and get, just kind of go from there, you know? Um, so, yeah, anybody who has any tips for me, I will gladly take them. Um, and, yeah. Oh, here's the coleonics. Oh, it won't let me show the picture. Damn. If I remember before the show's over, I'll run in the house and take a picture real quick. But now, someone else who's part of our, our clique, uh, Miss Ty Iper, she just did a naturalistic vivarium for her death adder. And this is actually fully bioactive from what I gather. Um, I didn't get all the details. I'm sure Scott can can fill us in. But here is Ty's death adder enclosure. 
How great does that look? Oh, yeah. I love it. You know, and I feel like this species would do so well with a bioactive enclosure because mm-hmm. even though it's a snake, it's not moving around a lot to knock stuff over, and its poops aren't that big that you couldn't tweezer out the, the big turds and then let the isopods and springtails and whatever else, the cleanup crew, you know, actually do their job. Um, you can see there's the deathy right there. A little exoterra water bowl. I love it. It's just a good, I would say, fairly easy to do setup. And I'm sure it's going to pan out wonderful. Yeah, especially if you throw a ton of leaf litter in there, that thing's going to go crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Just freshen up the leaf litter from the garden if you have to, Mm -hmm. you know? Just go from there. All native plants, Scott says. There you go. I love it. So kudos to time, man. So Dominique says that she wonders if you can do a chia seed on the back of her enclosure. And I actually thought of that. And I realized through doing a little bit of YouTube homework that the chia seed, because it's like that paste that you, you know, spackle onto the chia mm-hmm. ceramic, um, it needs to have that ceramic base. So if you had a stone structure or a ceramic like terracotta structure that was porous, I imagine it would work like a million bucks. My only thing is I would say in my opinion, just from doing all this grass seed stuff is germate and grow it out of the enclosure. That way it has time to like become a plant because I feel like just our heat lamps and you know, certain humidity issues, it may just dry out and die too quickly. You know, I've also been really, really attentive to this stupid grass in terms of like changing the paper towel, misting it every like twice a day, you know, making sure it's ventilated. And I know it's probably going to end soon because I just get lazy and forget to take care of it. But at least I'm, I have fun with it now. I'm sure someone in Dart Frogs has, has attempted it. Yeah, I'm sure. And Dominique says she has an old PVC setup that she's going to try. Go for it, girl. Definitely send me pictures of the progress. So, yeah, there's some YouTube videos on there. Yeah. Scott says that they remove all feces and urates when possible, but the little bits will be left. And I'm sure that the the you know isopods and springtails or whatever your cleanup crew is down under will take care of the bits and the bits and pieces so it's awesome i'm proud of her and uh i still need to work on my egyptian themed uh enclosure i actually stole from work we got a new monitor for work and uh to hang on the wall so like we can watch cameras and stuff and the monitor came in the big giant cardboard box you know like tvs do but the styrofoam that was around it to hold it in place had like these little air pockets and all I could think of what's Bill saying. So you're a grass bob instead of a beardy mom. Oh yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. So I steal the styrofoam from work and it has these cubbies and all I could think of was cutting it into certain sections, 
shaving it and making rock hides out of it. So now I've got like these like five or six big giant pieces of styrofoam that already have nooks and crannies. And I'm super excited to just cut it up and grout it. I just need to, you know, have more time in the day to do it. Kevin says that when the wheatgrass gets too thick at the bottom, it gets moldy fast. Thank you for letting me know that. I already saw a little bit of white mold um, on the sides. And when I sprayed it with, because I figured I'd just leave it. When I sprayed it with water, that mold shrunk up and it disappeared. I, mean, I didn't actually steal it. It was garbage. I just took it from work. Yeah, and that Zupoxy stuff is phenomenal. It really is. Phenomenal. Yeah, I really, I'm glad I got all those plants from Billy, and I'm glad that I said something about wanting pothos, because Billy's like, dude, I've got so much. Take some. Literally give me a giant box of, there's some Wandering Jew in there, some sort of what looks like philodendron, I think, and then nice. some other random odds and ends. So those will be going in water bowls. Dude, I, I know Billy's got some the Wandering Jew in the backyard. I didn't realize how big they get. Because yeah. there's a, a park by my house that we were herping, and like there are this plants everywhere. I'm like, man, that looks like wandering. And I was like, wait a minute, that is. And they were huge. They were like beach ball sized. It was very impressive. So Yeah. So I'm gonna use the, the pothos and stuff, and then Katie can do whatever she wants with the other stuff because I don't plan on using it in in cages, but I don't know. I, uh, someone actually, I was just talking to Justin Olson the other day. He texted me asking where I got pothos from, and I told him, like, I got mine from Walmart. But I don't just take it and plant it anywhere. Like, with dart frogs, when you plant it in a tank, you want to let it cycle for about a month before you actually add animals to it, just so we can get all the fertilizers and things out of its you know, sure. system and whatnot. Um, so with this, what I did is I bought it. I planted it in a new planter with organic soil that didn't have anything else in it, didn't have fertilizers, insecticides, any of that, and then let that cycle for probably two weeks or so. And then I just took the whole pot and put it in with the Tanabar at the time. It's now in with the Jansen Eye, but for eight bucks or ten bucks, you can get a, a decent sized pothos from Walmart. It's just a matter of like making sure you replant it and then making sure you rinse it off really good so you get anything that they may have sprayed on it too. Yeah. And then... uh. <clears throat> Just giving it some time to kind of air out and, and get any of the, the chemical y stuff out of it. And so, because he was saying someone, some lady tried to sell him one for like 25 bucks. Mm -hmm. like, Dude, you're out of your mind. Like Walmart, yeah. man. Yeah. Walmart's got everything. Even Lowe's, Home Depot. Yeah, you got you to gotta go to Lowe's Gardening Center to look for pygmy rattlers. Dig through all the plants. I never find any. Of course, because you're looking for them. It's the curse. It's the curse. Yeah, the one time I go to, you know, Target in their gardening section, and there'll be a coral snake. <laughs> uh, one day. One day. But ideally, I would like to have Pothos. I want to switch the rhino rats onto cypress mulch. I like okay. I'm, I'm I'm coming back to liking cypress mulch a lot as a bedding for certain stuff uh, because Dude, it's super cheap. It's holds it's, that humidity so yeah. well, almost too well. Um, want to get the rhinos on that. I want to get the sort of a, a 
bigger pothos going in the water bowls like I had with that chondro, not a freaking two foot tendril that isn't growing at all, which is currently yeah. the situation. Um, get water bowls in with the other chondros. Um, probably get the cyania on cypress mulch and, and with some pothos too. Just like I said, I noticed with the with the smaller chondros and the smaller arboreal tubs when you had pothos growing in there there was the ambient humidity seemed considerably higher than normal and it i think it's 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 a simple solution it's an easy fix to you know bad sheds and stuff like that i think but yeah. it's just a matter of having the right size plant to where it can do its job you know right and then i've also seen people where they just take the potted pothos or potted whatever you know they have a little drain saucer at the bottom whatever you call it and then on top they they dig out you know the first two or one and a half inches of soil off the top and they pack sphag on top of that so now you're getting the 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 damp sphagnum moss you know effervescing itself out into the ether mm -hmm. and the plants doing the oxygenation thing and then yeah. when the when the moss gets dry you know it's time to give it a spritz so yeah i've been given some of the corns uh i mean for the, they're mostly females that i've been offering them to but they're your humid hides but pretty much lay boxes more or less. They just have them full time and they're in them a lot. Like I know Phelan uh, at one point he was, I think given all of his corns, humid hides yeah. like that. And like my, my females that I have them in there with, man, they, they love them. They use the hell out of them. So that's something I've been also trying to, trying to do more is offer that as an option. Cause I do it with the Dion's. They love them. They're in them in and you know, all the time in and out, uh, even the little baby. Um, so that's, it's like when it comes to enrichment and stuff like that, I feel like it's it's little things like that, like the plant and the human hide and adding multiple hides and, you know, scent transfer of some stuff to, you know, just get the gears turned a little more and, and make things a little more interesting for them and a little more dynamic as far as the space and the efficiency of it. And Of course. More service it's, area. It's stuff like that, that that really you don't have to do. You don't have to go over the top with it. You know, yeah. small stuff makes a difference. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that I, you know, I give uh, on the tropical stuff, I do the deli cup with the hole in the lid and just pack it full of wet swag. Yeah. Right. And if they want to go in it, they can go in it. So I did that with the baby Nova Guinea I got from Billy, and she's never gone inside it, but she like cascades herself around the rim of the deli and like just sits at the, sits at the opening. So she's definitely getting that humidity coming out mm -hmm. and you can see where she maybe stuck her back end of her body in there. Cause like there's some of the moss has been tossed out of the hole in the top. Cause I mean, I didn't throw it around. She right. did, you know, but that, that just goes to show that she is using it in some way. She may mm -hmm. not go inside it, but she's using it in some way. And that, that makes me happy. Yeah. Watching man, watching those corns, just especially if they're going into a shed cycle, <laughs> Like they will straight up stay in that container for a week straight. Like I, I do not see them out of it. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Cause I like, to, I like to check on my stuff almost daily. Like I'll go through my room either in the morning or at night and just look at everybody, make sure everything's good. You know, no problems. And those females, man, they're in a shed cycle. They're, they're in those, those humid hides just hanging out, but they shed perfect. Yeah. yeah. As, as a result, especially the Dion's, that was a big thing. Uh, the, the original female that I got, uh, the first shed that she had with me wasn't a great one, but I put that humid hide in there and it all came right off in one piece again. Like it, it, good. 
I want to offer. I even with some of the Bairds, like when I paired up the Loma Altas just late in the season to see if I could make something happen, I put one in there because I thought maybe she was gravid. Um, even they spend a lot of time in it, and that's that's another species that's kind of bizarre. Like Bairds love to sit in their water bowl, like to the yeah. point to where you're like, is there something wrong? Do you have mites? Like it's strange for a, an animal that's in you know a pretty dry area of the, the world. They love hanging on their water bowls. Well, do you think it's the same thing like it is with the Gila's where they're an animal that's a, an aquatic opportunist and because they live in the desert, every time there's water, they're going to use it to their full advantage. So what they do is they sit in it and now they're unknowingly thermoregulating their core temperature. Do you no, think that's something? Think so. no? I, I'll go in there because I there was and it's usually so it's not all the bears. It's a handful of adults that I have that I notice definitely spend more time in their bowls than others. Um, but there's one that like I I pull it out because it was sitting in the bowl all day, and so I pull it out, and they're just as active as they would be outside yeah. of the bowl and dry. And okay. so I pulled it out and checked it for mites because I'm like this he that that particular week or two he had been spending a ton of time in his water bowl. So I was like, what's going on? Um, and I, you know, I pulled him out and came back in two hours later, whatever, he's back in the water bowl. And it's just like, just like with Popwins, you know, Popwin carpets, yeah. it's like, you eventually you just say, they just like hanging out in the water bowl. Like there's nothing else to it. There's no other real rhyme or reason. I checked temperatures to make sure it wasn't too hot, you know, couldn't find anything visibly wrong or off. I just chalked it up to that. You know, some, some of those bears just like to sit in their water bowl. They're just weird like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't notice any skin issues or anything like that. Um, I mean, it's almost to the point to where they they spend almost as much time in their water bowls as the rhino rats do, which is a lot. Like those rhino rats, man they 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 hang out in their water bowls constantly. Yeah, but I feel like they're more aquatic, so it's not oh, that that big a deal. It's know? just interesting that the bears would would have a similar sort of, and I don't notice it with any of the younger ones either, which is interesting. It only seems to be the adults. Okay. It's 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 very very strange. Well, I've noticed something that I'll be honest, it wasn't until this week that it clicked in my head. Um so I got like the pair of uh, uh Negrita king snakes mm -hmm. and I have one aspen. You know, that's 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 what you do with king snakes. You, you put them on aspen. And they keep throwing all the aspen in the water bowl, yep. like fill it full. And I was thinking, and then just once I saw the male underneath the aspen in the water bowl, this gross, soggy, mm -hmm. moldy junk. And I was like, are they putting it in there on purpose to make humidity? So uh, tonight I actually gave them those deli cup humid hides. And I want to see if they keep filling the water bowl for mm -hmm. aspen. Because now if they have a place to go get humid, I wonder if they would still do that. And maybe I'm giving the snake too much intelligence. Maybe I'm anthropomorphizing. I don't know. But it just didn't make sense why they would. Because it, it's not like they throw it around the cage. Like the hide cave isn't right. covered. Nothing else is, everything else is intact. Right. Right. So maybe. And I wonder if they keep doing it even with the humid hide. Does that mean that it's too humid? And maybe they're trying to get rid of humidity? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I but. I'm curious to see what the results are of that myself because a lot of the like the little little corns that I hatch and the beards and stuff they love filling up their water like just trashing the substrate yeah. and I use that paper stuff now that KT stuff that I like a lot but when that mm -hmm. stuff gets gets wet it it gets pretty 
pretty uh, soggy. Yeah. Um, so if there is something to that, I definitely want to switch over and, and try that, you know, see if humid hides make a difference and if they'll stop doing that because I'm really tired of emptying water bowls and refilling them and then coming back in the next morning and they're full of crap again. So. Yeah. But like, and that's the thing too is I have to, I almost want to, I almost like, this is me just being a scientist in my mind, like trying to come up with like a control. Opening your third eye. Right. I'm trying to come up with a control. Like I, I only have the two, I have a male and a female, right? That Marcus gave me. And I almost want to take the human hide out, put them on paper towels, put the water dish next to a little mound of Aspen. And see if it somehow finds its and way. And see if, see if they put the Aspen in it. And like the rest of the the rest of the tub is paper towels. See, See I've thought it. about that too, but oftentimes I, I I put a good bit of substrate in my my tubs most of the time, anyways. Mm-hmm. And so I try to bury that water bowl in there a little bit, just so they can you know they have an easier time getting access to the water itself. And I think most of the time I just chalk it up to I buried it, and of course they're moving around and stuff gets yeah. just bulldozed into the water bowl. But I don't know. I have had some where that bull was elevated and somehow that stuff still ended up in there. So I don't, I mean, like I said, there may be something to it. I, I definitely wouldn't write it off. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see what they do with the, uh, the human all, hides and go from there. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, Brett Bender will show house. everyone this. Brett Bender is in the house. So I was talking about how my local Lowe's has been consistently out of those bricks of that orchid moss, which is just really good quality spag. Yeah. Uh, I, know, I know the one you're talking so about. I went on, well, this is what I ended up buying on Amazon because my Lowe's hasn't had it for weeks, if not months. Oh, okay. Um, and it turns out, I mean, this stuff's way cheaper. Like, this is a one pound mini bale, which is actually pretty big. And yeah. I think after shipping, it was like 25 bucks. Oh, that's awesome. And so I should have to buy a spag for a hot minute. And this stuff's actually really high quality, too. It does have like those weird, sort of wiry, stringy pieces, the stems. Um, I mean, I guess you'd call them stems, but uh, this stuff's just as high quality as that that orchid moss stuff that Lowe's sells. So if you're in the market for spag and you can't find it, because from what I, I heard somewhere at some point that New Zealand was having issues with supply or something with that New Zealand spag. So that's why it maybe hasn't been on shelves as much. Um, yeah. And that's why Josh's frog started selling, I think, Chilean moss, Chilean spag. Um. I don't know. I thought about trying that, but then I found this and I was like 25 bucks. That's going to be a lot. That's like, I won't have to worry about uh, human hides and lay boxes for a hot minute. Yeah. One yeah, pound 100%. of spag is a lot of spag. Yeah. Especially when it's compressed in that brick like that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. This stuff's really, really solid. So okay. if anybody needs it, this is where you go. It's uh, it's Smitty approved. Yeah. I I've, I've other seen that. Too. Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen that in like a, a one liter, you know, where it's like a, 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 it's the same size bag as say a two liter bottle of soda. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a little brick of swag and it's that same New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is actually what I got. I got the, the super bale. So for 25 bucks, it's a 2.1 pound bale. Yeah. Which probably makes 30 gallons of wet moss. Probably. Yeah. You know? doesn't have to have an animal on the label for it to be effective. You don't have yeah. to get it from PetSmart. Yeah. 
And you know what, though? I find myself, like, I have the opportunity just from underground and other resources. I could get a legit bail in a burlap sack of Aspen bedding. And it, it's relatively inexpensive when you compare it to the small bags of quote-unquote snake bedding. Dude, you sell it's at so, But I don't do that because I only use Aspen on North American colubrids. And I don't have that many, and they're all babies. So for now, I just go to Underground's retail store and I buy the little little bag that has the you know milk snake on the cover, and you know you pay twelve or fifteen bucks, whatever it is, and that lasts me quite a long time. Um, so just because you, yes, it is more expensive to buy it from the pet shop per se because it has a snake on the wrapper. You don't have to go buy the big giant bale that Justin and I are buying. You know, you can still buy that, and, and it's okay. No one says. Oh, you have to be frugal and you know buy the brick from you know. No, just if you're using a lot of it, it just makes sense, you know. Yeah, like even those smaller bricks from Lowe's of the Spag lasted me a while, but this is like I'm I'm probably going to be good on Spag for the next year as a result of this. And for twenty five bucks, you know, it's five times the cost of the other brick, but it's way more, so it kind of just makes sense. Yeah. And I imagine that if it is organic for orchids and stuff, it's probably not going to have as much junk in it as ones that are laced with fertilizer and mm-hmm. that kind of thing, you know. So, yeah, and that's that's like that's one of the reasons I, I really like Cypress a lot. And, you know, and Jake was because Jake actually picked up the bag that I have now. He went by Lowe's because he was going there for something else, and I said, "Hey, grab a bag of this," and he got some. He's like, "Dude, this stuff's cheap." Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's why it's awesome. Like, it's like you don't worry about bugs and stuff in it. No, I'm like not really. I mean, if I'm yeah. that concerned, I'll I'll spray it down with a little bit of that front line and mix it in. Yep. Problem solved. Let it air out. You know. Yep. Hundred percent. Fumigate. And it's awesome. You know, four bucks if that you get a giant bag that'll do a lot. So. Yeah, man. Hundred percent. I'm all about the the herpax. Her packs, I love it. Dollar Tree, Dollar General, Big Lots. If you still have one of those in your area, Lowe's, Walmart. So I can't remember. Uh, did I show everyone the Cloud Forest design labels last week? I think you showed them to us on Thursday. Okay, never mind that. I'm just excited about my stickers. Disregard. You did a good job, Matt. Does a good job, man. Matt did a great job, man. He did. We're at two hours, though, bud. We are. I think it's bedtime. I would concur. Well, this was episode 88, Snakes and Stogies. Check out Puget Sound Pythons right above my shoulder over here. Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. They'll be having a Daytona video dropping soon of their time in Florida. Nice. Uh, so it's like It might as well be another planet from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, yeah, we do need to do a bite report. We'll we'll come up with one for next week or a couple of them for next week. Yeah, I miss doing those. Yeah. Um, Gendra wanted to know if the labels were pricey. His labels are, I think, are like what five bucks a piece. Yeah, they were five bucks a piece. Yeah, yeah. they're laminated and everything, like ready to go. Yep. You just gotta stick them. Yeah. Velcro all I did, all I did was buy double sided Velcro from Amazon. It was like six bucks for 24 little stickies and it did it. So 
Get it. Cool. Lace monitors. Who doesn't nice. love lace monitors? Yeah, right. Especially ones from Indonesia. Thank you all for watching, listening, partaking. We love you all. Everyone have a good evening. Bye.